This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 411. Pavarotti is my co-pilot. Hello and welcome to another edition of GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly dose of technology, snark, and um, more snark, because that's what we bring to you. My name is Michael Martin. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm joined by the others that are here as well. Michael Rowe, I hope you're having a grand day today. How are you? Yes, I'm just full of information on episode 411, but I am glad to be here with my friend and co-host, Andy Piper. Andy, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Michael. Yes, I was just uh, musing about HTTP error codes, which don't seem to be very relevant to our show. But the last uh, sort of 10 or 15 episodes have all in some way related to the 11 episodes have related to our HTTP errors. Gosh, I'm such a geek. <laughs> but that's what we do here. We, we, we get together, the three of us, and that- geek out and nerd out and talk tech. So let's, let's do it. Which is fun. Yeah. It's a great way to spend the day. Well, we're going to start in Europe this time around with um, one of the happiest places on Earth. And uh, I don't know if the Finnish opera qualifies as one of the happiest places on Earth, but they are dealing with virtual reality where they've done a one-for-one model of the Finnish nat- uh, National Opera House itself. So you can build sets, you can move things around, you can do lighting, you can do all kinds of design. Um, what did you guys think about this? It looked pretty darn cool from the video. I I I I don't know. Um, yes, it does look pretty cool. I I thought the emphasis on things like workplace safety through a VR training uh, and enabling people to visualize emergency situations and things like that uh, is quite interesting. Uh, I don't know. I felt like it was a, a more of a press release than a um, than anything else, which is legitimate. I mean, it's a unique use of AR, VR, I should say VR, specifically VR in this case, uh, mm-hmm. although they then refer to um, this this tool called XR, um, and, and, and they're using um, a specific brand called Vajo or Vajo, um, which is, is for this specific um, use case. It's not, you're not going to throw on your Oculus headset and go check out the um, Finnish National Opera, as far as I understand it, uh, Finnish State Opera. Uh, I, I found that to be interesting as well that they are um, partnering closely and and, and it needs to be this very specific high-end experience Um, but it it does look cool I I think the more that we've we've said this many many times the more that these things are used in realistic scenarios the more that these things can be accepted and understood and and taken into the mainstream in in the spring of 2007, uh, I worked with a company out of Los Angeles and created a video that I could have swore was the precursor to the promo video that they just did for the Finnish National Opera. Hmm. 
even some of the camera angles and some of the phrasing of words matched verbatim with that video and i have it in my archives unfortunately it was an internal video <laughs> so, so we can't put it in the show notes and so share I it can't put it in the show oh. notes um but it was it was fantastic now this time of year is usually when i'm doing a performance of some sort and having the ability to pre-visualize as you say the sets and the blocking the lighting the yeah. lighting is the biggest one to me because usually the only time you get to do lighting is during tech week right and it's usually like two days before the performance is live. And so if you've ever gone to a, a tech preview of a, a live performance, usually they're working the lighting during that tech preview. And you'll see mistakes as they tune things. Uh -huh. um, and, and to have this environment that allowed them to actually not only work it in advance, but because it is a virtual environment, they could have many different shows working at the same time, working their lighting for the show. Uh, think of spotlights, think of mood lighting, everything else. That was really, really cool. I thought um, the the one-for-one -one model was yep. nice uh, for that. Uh, think sets is an, another important thing. The physical movement of sets. If you've ever watched a you know, uh, a show in the West End or on Broadway uh, or, or at a really nice theater um, and you've watched how during the action on stage sets are moving around as they shift from an indoor-outdoor scene or whatever, right? That takes a lot of planning and coordination uh, and a lot of times the actors are in the way, right? So, so being able to model all that and see it excellent use case it's one of those use cases we've been talking about for a very long time i'm really excited to see the finnish national opera is using it um and it was really cool so um i i i look forward to seeing more organizations use this digital twin of a performance space to improve the quality of opening night so i was thinking about two other quick things before we leave this and that that is one my son is going through a program at the north carolina school of the arts uh, specializing in sound design and he's getting a, a fair amount of work doing load in and load out uh for various venues around here and as these touring companies are going from stage to stage in different cities their ability to be able to predict and know the d dimensions parameters and so on and be able to very rapidly say hey this is where things are going to be and also pre train if you will the the stagehands and others to know what to expect and where to place things could speed up those load ins and load outs as they go so i'm really intrigued about that and then the other aspect andy i was reminded of our um royal shakespeare company mm -hmm. experience mm -hmm. from gosh what was it last last year yeah yeah and and where where we as the audience members were able to experience the performance so there's there's very small hop from what we're just looking at here from a uh, presentation production etc into performance and sharing in a performance that should be able to happen too you you, you your point that you made on the load in load out reminded me um when i was performing in atlanta with uh, an opera group there uh we had a very very large stage that we did stuff on and we were doing uh, gilbert and sullivan's gondoliers which has this really large dance number uh, the entire cast it lots of movement etc and we toured that show to a small community college about an hour and a half north of atlanta whose stage was one-third the size <laughs> oopsie 
uh, and and having the ability to pre-visualize would have just been awesome. So, so continuing on with the story of Finland, um, they are now the sixth time winner of the world's happiest place. Uh, there was a fun article from The Guardian that came across this. Uh, the thing that grabbed me from this is there's a competition to be able to go to a happiness masterclass. Uh, and um, the author of this article actually didn't want you to go and enter because they want to win uh, and go to this masterclass themselves, which uh, would make them happy, but not us. So if you're curious and want to do it, uh, I would say go and do that. I've never been to Finland. I'd love to go uh, and just to see how happy things are. I have been. Andy, you had a point you wanted to make. I have. You've been. Right? I have been to Finland uh, many years ago to Lapland specifically. So um, I'm not sure mm-hmm. that I've seen the uh, the heart of day to day real Finland, but um, it was it was a fun trip for sure. I was going to comment that the the, the title of the um, of the Guardian piece is a bit of a bit, bit clickbaity because it says uh, the Finns hold the secret of happiness, and it's not what you might expect, and then doesn't really tell you what it is. <laughs> It doesn't tell you what it is. Well, it just actually, says there's actually, a competition. I thought they did. I thought they said lower your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> that was the key. Right. It's like the last second of the last sentence in the entire uh, article. <laughs> <laughs> so, so staying on the VR theme, um, we had an article here from VentureBeat from the Board Apes owner Yuga Labs uh, for their second massively multiplayer. Uh, virtual reality experience uh, called Other Side or Trip to the Other Side. And um, I took a look at this video. I, I had to say that um, the, the the words that came to mind for me were the, the teeming masses of humanity mm-hmm. of how many avatars there were to, that were being shepherded and guided around. Uh, I, I watched a fair amount of the video, went through the material on it. Um, and, but that was sort of the thing. It's like, my gosh, moving massive amounts of people around uh, in physical space like at a theater uh, or in Finland or wherever is one thing doing that in a virtual experience becomes very disconcerting super vast doesn't it yeah one of the things we talked about and we've seen ourselves as the technology has matured the um, limits of how many um, live connected individuals you can have to a specific sort of instance of a, of a service um, and have it be realistic you know uh, contiguous fluid all of those things without having you know the crossing of boundaries of objects and textures and all the other things um this calls out this company which i think we've talked about in the past called improbable which is um, a uk-based um organization that um has been around for a number of years and i, I know people that, that went to work there at different times uh and they're um their selling point's always been about you know how big a virtual environment they can make and how they, they were really sort of the technology was all about scaling um, to to many thousands of individuals. So they're talking about last summer's first trip to this uh, well, other side um, Yuga Labs environment was forty five hundred people, um, and this time they were looking to hoping to get to sort of ten thousand. I don't think we've seen the number. Um, I think we were talking about this between the, the between ourselves around what this experience, you know, the description of what this experience is like, uh, how you kind of flow through this 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 virtual world and this experience. Uh, it did sound very sort of psychedelic and 
I'm, whilst I'm certainly not averse and not uh, no stranger to, to having strange experiences in, in a gaming environment, um, it does feel very uh, different generation to, to, to what I'm used to in terms of how people are getting excited or why people are getting excited about these spaces. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing, uh, and Andy, you talked about kind of the technical aspect and the scale aspects and the experiential, and, and Michael, you talked about the teaming masses. Um, I, I, I think, at least mentally, I'm at the point of, is this is the scale more or less, and I think less, important than the experience? Um just because you can have your avatar show up in a world that's smooth with 10,000, 100,000, a million other avatars, is that a consumable environment? Is that experience mm. something that allows you to focus on the things you want to focus on? Just looking at uh, – and I watch clips of the video uh, myself um, – the amount of information overload that occurs when – just five percent of those people start chatting, and they're talking over or, the other or, person, or emoting, who's or whatever. At the same time when right? they're talking, right? Yeah, I mean, so so the ability to to kind of focus in on the experience that makes sense for you as an individual in that space, right? Um, there, there's a cognitive load point where where the technology becomes interesting technically, but almost self-defeating from an experience perspective the ability to consume what you're what you're seeing i think that's a really good point but it's i think that's a good point but it's also important not to lose track of another thing that we've constantly talked about in terms of how online gaming massively multiplayer environments where you are interacting with large numbers of people and coordinating potentially groups of people in those mm -hmm. kind of environments can be applied back to your day-to-day -day, back to your work life back to your ability to sort of see and see kind of uh different dashboards and situations with data streams i think there's there's it's a very very fine line michael between what yeah. you're describing but between that between what, what i'm describing and then what you where you're going with actually no this is too much uh no everybody's talking at once and nobody's making sense because there is no small group collaborative environment within that, um, potentially. So I, I see this as really interesting, I, I, partly also because you've got this one organization, Yuga Labs, who's behind a few of the different uh, elements of uh, metaversal elements, if you like here. So the, the, the NFT stuff, the board, the apes, the yacht club stuff, um, and, then, and then this sort of immersive type stuff. Um, with the influencers that are being mentioned here as well as people that you know have some form of uh, influence over groups of people and, and shepherding them into these environments um, and then also this almost test bed um, experience for these very very large scale environments uh, i think there's some really um, intriguing crossovers going on here yeah it'll be interesting the design challenges that turn it into something that's mm that goes in both directions for a value statement, right? What, what, what you can take out of there into the real world and what in the real world needs to go there to make it consumable. We'll, we'll probably bridge into this a little bit when we, when we start hitting some of the AI related topics, because this is definitely a spot where AI could do a lot to help bring 
order to chaos, if you will, or uh, create small affinity groups in a way that can be uh, easier to work their way through. Um, but but these kind of large environments, if you think about it, if you're in a stadium full of thousands of people, the, the ability for the main stage or the main presenter or wherever to communicate out is pretty evident that exists. The a way for the audience to communicate back is, you know, through applause or through dancing or through other stuff. That's pretty evident. But we're about to enter a new world. I, I believe that this is now going to enable that to cr- allows the ability to create smaller groups off of large scale groups in a very, very dynamic way. And, yeah, and that's I, I, different. That feels like it'll be different and address your point, Michael, which I thought was really well, good on the cognitive load. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think there's two aspects to that too. And, and we're sorry to rat hole a little bit longer on this one, but I think it's a really interesting topic. Um, we, it, the stadium example, right? If it's, if it's a concert or a sports event, the, 80,000 people in the stadium are focused down and you might be you know yelling at the ref from your seat in in section A12 um, but the guy in double Q73 can't interact with you in the stadium mm. but in a virtual environment the way they're currently set up they can they can see that and and that connection across you know those 80,000 dynamically changes in such a way that Yes, it may cause some good incremental things, but it may also cause a lot of, like like we said, cognitive load issues in the other direction. Interesting challenge space to see what happens. So so, so the next story actually relates nicely to mm. this too. Um, we have 10 jobs that they suggest exist only in the metaverse. And I would say another n- nice bait clicky title. Yes. Um, there's some truth yeah. to that, but there's also some real truth to the fact that a skill sets that do exist in real life IRL do translate really well into a space like the metaverse, like VR, etc. And one of them that spoke to me really well was the notion of a tour guide. Um, so I think that was because number... those don't exist outside of the metaverse. No, of course not. <laughs> Look at the mean... titles like put metaverse in yes. front of your title, yeah. And, yeah. and those are unique. Yeah. So uh, but n- number sorry, six. Go ahead. Is, I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I right. That was that was my point. Thank you. You yeah. absolutely reinforced it. But I, but I bang it hard. But the you. notion of a tour guide, I think, is incredibly important because you take the example of what we just talked our way through. It's a rich, immersive space, and someone who knows it, maybe was part of the development team, maybe has been around it quite a lot, can help the new people who arrive to say, you know what, there's something that's really cool that I know about, and I'm going to show you what it is. And we've done that sort of thing before, too, as we've toured. uh, One that springs to mind immediately is Venice. Uh, Venice is pretty darn easy. You can go to St. Mark's Square. You can go, you know, look at a few of the the bridges and so on like everybody else does. But if you have a local who knows the place, they'll be like, you know what? The best place for this kind of antipasta is going to be over here. And the best place to go and get a coffee and to talk with people and people watch is going to be over there. And you can't get there unless you know those people who are going to let you up. Up to their rooftop rooftop terrace and now you can see things that you otherwise wouldn't have seen so there, there are some really eager uh, not eager interesting aspects to this that i think will be valid and there will be value there and people will want that and they'll probably pay for it because it's needed i i like this story although it is as you say very clickbaity headliney um almost misrepresentative because it as Michael just said, it basically sticks the word metaverse on the front of a load of job type, jobs that absolutely do exist in the real world. 
Um, but there are, there are a few reasons that I love it. One of them is that the very first image uh, under Metaverse Events Managers, I lo was looking at it and I was thinking, that ah, looks very familiar. Uh, and sure enough, you click through, say, 13-year-old image from Second Life taken in 2010 in a, in a, in a dance club <laughs> environment in, uh, in Second Life. Uh, not that I've spent lots of time in dance clubs in Second Life, but anyway, uh, I, I do think that in the context of what we were just talking about, that virtual experience um, with Yuga Labs, um, absolutely you needed you needed both you needed the influencers. You arguably would have needed the tour guide or Metaverse event managers. I'm sure um, you needed the architects that I mentioned here to build the experiences. As someone who is learning. Um, 3D modeling for 3D printing in the real world rather than um, for metaversal purposes at the moment. That's something that I'm uh, very curious about and uh, in awe of people that, that have the, um, th those um, skills already um, to, to build things. I was also, and this isn't in our um, show notes, but looking at this week's, some of the announcements coming out from uh Epic and Unity around things like um, the um, Fortnite editor, which is essentially sort of a cut-down Unity editor, um, and, and it's kind of a step up between almost the Minecraft editor and, and giving a lot of these tools more uh, capabilities and more, but more of an audience. Also, folding in, uh, I think it's Sketchfab or Fab, one of the one of the organisations mm -hmm. that they purchased yeah, yeah. last year. Uh, making all of these into sort of a single catalogue for all of these kind of objects. So um, I can see that, again, we've got pieces of the environment starting to come together or starting to coalesce, perhaps. But, yeah, I think that the the concept of whether these are full-time jobs in the metaverse or whether these are sets of skills and sets of capabilities and understanding of how to... Um, go ahead and, and, and run things. They, they refer to metaverse stewards and I, uh, as sort of people that take tickets at doors. Uh, or you could talk about them as moderators um, mm -hmm. to some extent. I think moderation is almost always the largest problem in, in any of these sort of networked environments where people exist and behave. Uh, and I think that well, those continue to be challenges. Yeah, the, the, the other biggest problem is people. Sure. <laughs> Hence, you need the moderation. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Well, so so let's let's leave VR AR for a minute. Although, like I said, I think we're going to bridge back and forth here a little bit because the the topics are very very related. Uh, we have an article that caught our attention from Fortune magazine, and this was an example about a uh, professor from the Wharton School uh, using the vast set of AI tools that are now available for free to go do some superhuman business results. So um, I don't know what it was. I guess we were all like taken in on every clickbait article that there was this week. Um, and to me, the reading through this, this was a, an example of some of the promo videos that we've seen from Google and Microsoft right. and a bunch of others where you get an Put idea in article form. <laughs> in, yeah, exactly. You get an idea and then you now evolve that idea and you write some email and you set a meeting with the right people and then you create PowerPoint charts and then you create images and then uh, um, uh, what's the third step in the underpants gnomes? Oh, 
profit, profit. right? So within 30 minutes, um, this particular guy was able to say, hey, I could create a whole mar- marketing campaign, do everything I needed to do, and off we go. Um, yeah. Do I believe it? Nope. Um, do I believe it's going to speed things up tremendously? You bet. Um, and I haven't tried doing this yet, but maybe it's a challenge for us to take on board and say, hey, could we replicate this if we wanted to and would it provide something real that we can do within the confines of physics space time legal reality Ah. (laughs) so staying on the same theme uh we uh, had an article from wired where microsoft is um is really leveraging the copilot brand name uh now across a variety of different structures sources and resources uh in fact i was playing with the bing interface in skype before we started here which is also leveraging the chat gpt kinds of capabilities Mm -hmm. in, in in the skype environment um, and Microsoft uh, is using Security Copilot to look at ways of working through the AI ops tool chain uh, and to determine where there might be security vulnerabilities and then, of course, what to do about them. So all within the span of less than 25 days or so, um, one thing after another keeps rolling out on the parade. Yeah, I think I, th- I th- you know, they talk about uh, when do you have that pivot? When do you have the knee of the curve? When this stuff is going to go explosive and change everything? Um, we're starting to see more and more products quicker and quicker. Now, we don't know how long they've been in the works, right? So, uh, and and about five years ago, I was working with uh, our research team doing some stuff with AI and security. Um, and... Uh, the the value there is really the ability to see those patterns in huge data sets, massive and massive and, data sets. And, and uh, to be honest, something like this, so specifically security copilot, where yep. you're you've got a you know a, a, a model that's that's trained on you know previous security issues and, and good practices, um, codified, yep. uh, being able to pattern match across wide areas and. It makes so much it's sense. almost like, to some extent, writing your code tests and making them execute all the time um, based on, you know, expected reproducible patterns. Um, I think that this does make a ton of sense. And uh, I'm not too concerned, especially where, in principle, the outcomes from something like this are better software, better, um, more secure code, more, secu- more secure systems. <laughs> In principle, that those are the outcomes. Um, it, 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 it can, and we all know that, you know, taking too cautious an approach to something can sometimes slow you down and cause you to, you know, not do something innovative and not do something that you, um, that, that, that's break, breakthrough thinking. Uh, but I certainly think that, in principle, taking a corpus of information and uh, using technology to apply uh, pattern matching in this way is is really useful. I think the copilot branding is interesting as well. We think we briefly mentioned it last week uh, about this this extension of it across a range of different tools and services from Microsoft. Um, it's kind of like applying Clippy to everything, but it's also kind of muddying the water with uh, GitHub and, and and what they were doing pre um, or, or just post acquisition. Yeah, the, 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 the one thing, and, and Andy, I agree with you uh, on 
kind of the value and the the obvious value that comes out of it in the security space. Um, you know, you expect certain patterns. When something breaks that pattern, there might be a security vulnerability. You can go back and look at the history, blah, blah, blah. Um, remember the power of AI, though, is setting up a GAN. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine smart uh, security vulnerability experts, i.e. people who human beings, human beings, to use that same pattern and invert it to say, how do I create a... Uh, a, a security breach that does not flag so, as a security problem. So, so just quickly, because we sometimes shouldn't expect that we shouldn't always expect all of our listeners to to know all of the terms, and we shouldn't expect them to have been listening to us for many, many years. Um, although we love both both sets of listeners, new and new and old. Um, when Michael refers to here a GAN, a G A N, he's talking about a generative adversarial network. So you have two neural networks competing with one another to um, to basically improve uh, a, a set of each other, yeah, improve each other, a set, a set of uh, machine learning data. Um, yes, I, I think that's that's exactly right. Um, uh, we've got another link which I came across this week on LinkedIn of all places. Um, I found LinkedIn possibly because I'm spending more time there recently for reasons um, to be quite a good source of um, thought leadership at the moment. And this is a post by a gentleman called Peter Nixie, um, who uh, is a founder, engineer, designer, uh, an angel investor, uh, writing a um, long-form piece about having been contributing to Stack Overflow for many years, as I have as well. He's in the top 2%. I'm in the top 4%. I met somebody last night who's in the top 0.5%. Um, wow. And, uh, and, and the point of that... I'm in the top 95%. <laughs> <laughs> and the point of that is Stack Overflow is a website where developers can go and ask questions and have other developers answer them, help to answer them, provide information with context. So when you ask a question there, you're not supposed to say, it's, it's generally not so useful if you say, hey, I'm stuck with this, someone do it for me, or how do I do X? You should kind of say, how do I do X? I've tried Y and Z, and these are the errors I'm getting, and I don't understand why these things are the case, and how could I improve what I'm doing here? Uh, and, and the sort of the golden outcome is where you have a really good conversation with an expert who can pick apart the situation and help you come to an outstanding conclusion, which then everybody votes on how high quality the answers are. What a golden opportunity for somebody, a machine that wanted to learn to go and find out exactly mm-hmm. what the questions are and exactly what the correct answers are because they've been validated by other humans. And upvoted, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so Great data set. Peter here is talking about the idea that what if we all stopped pooling our knowledge and telling each other how things work and sharing and educating one another and just give it to the machine well then what happens to all of our libraries what happens to all of our shared sources of knowledge and information we don't have those we have the machine um what a what a bleak future and on that happy note i think we got just a couple of quick hit posts left (laughs) no we don't we're gonna stop there because this is a good place to stop and it's not that bleak it is absolutely an important topic and we shouldn't let it lie there 
uh, my, my sense is it's not bleak. This is now an opportunity for people to do the training of the systems. And when he talks about what is chat GPT six going to be trained on in theory, it should be trained on the problems that were exposed in chat GPT four that now have been resolved and vetted by humans and agreed to that this is the right answer. So it may well be that Stack Overflow is not the searchable library anymore. It's gonna be chat GPT-6 or something like that in the future. And then Andy, you might be now the one who is the uh, top whatever contributor in that well, particular I, large model. I, I, I love your optimistic view, Michael. Uh, given how well ChatGPT and other models like this are at explaining how they came up with their answers, I, I, I don't know how uh, Andy could ever be the top contributor, even though he's the co top contributor in my heart. Wow. 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 T way to turn it. Because it I believe in you, even if Michael know. doesn't. Way to turn it around at the end there, Michael, with that, that nice that nice <laughs> statement. Um <laughs> Yeah, I was about to think, you know, I was just thinking, well, actually, it turns out that, that ChatGPT was me all along. Um, but, uh, ah, but, well, that, see that. Apparently, but you're good at explaining things. Apparently not. <laughs> what about those quick hits? I think we're out of time. We are out of time. We'll include them in the show notes. You'll get to see them. And if we get to them next time, you'll hear it all about here on gamesatwork.biz. See ya. See ya, everybody. See ya. You've been listening to GamesAtWork.biz, the podcast about gaming, technology, and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at GamesAtWork underscore biz or at our website at GamesAtWork.biz. GamesAtWork.biz.